welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Lightspeed Venture Partners. Lightspeed is a globally leading venture capital firm with over $29 billion in capital under management and more than 500 investments across the US, Europe, and Asia. With its dedicated gaming practice, Lightspeed Gaming, the firm is investing from over $7 billion in early and growth stage capital, making it by far the largest fund focused on gaming and interactive technology. Lightspeed's team combines deep expertise in gaming with a global multi-stage investment platform and a culture that truly puts founders first. Selected investments include Epic Games, Snap, and Stability AI, as well as game designers and producers who led the creation of titles like Fortnite, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Valorant, StarCraft II, and many more. For more information, simply go to gaming.lsvp.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, Let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker. And with me, I have excellent guests as always. We got Matt, Tammy, and Dave here today. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing Doing pretty. Yeah, doing pretty good. Heading into the the last chunk of the year, right? We're (laughs) deep in uh, Q4 now. Yeah, definitely. And I imagine we'll see some, you know, business results of that, of course, uh, as people trying to cram stuff into the end of the year, at least the uh, calendar year. But uh, we also have some great topics today. Uh, a lot of stuff updating and uh, just stuff we've been trying to you know, talk about for a while, hopefully resolving. Biggest one, of course, being Unity now losing uh, everyone's favorite CEO. <clears throat> some stuff on the stock market acquisitions. Uh, that should be interesting. Diablo maybe coming to the, uh, the old hate train on steam and, uh, EA managing to do, I believe quite well with their FIFA switch up. And then, uh, the unfortunate topic of layoffs, but, uh, it's gotta be said at this point. So why don't we just jump right in to the unity topic? Sure. Uh, thanks Devin. So just a quick update here. I thought it'd be worth, um, raising this news item, uh, given the ongoing saga at Unity. So the, the latest is that uh, John Riccatello is out as CEO of Unity. Um, I, he is stepping down, as I understand it. Um, who knows whether he was forced out, whether he's ready to retire or not. We can speculate on that in a little bit. But in short, he is leaving the CEO role. He's being replaced on an interim basis by a former IBM executive named James Whitehurst. Um, and Unity is saying they'll initiate a comprehensive search process, find a, a new permanent CEO, and they are reiterating their previous third quarter guidance. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think this is a huge surprise. Uh, he was certainly taking a lot of heat, and he had been pretty quiet in terms of the public response uh, to the backlash that was going on. It seemed to all sort of fall to like Mark Whitten and, and some of the other folks. Um Obviously not like a, a beloved CEO generally. He was the CEO of EA, EA when they were named worst company in America two years in a row, something like that. Um, so I guess the, the speculation next is like, 
what happens next with with Unity? Who replaces him? Uh, and also, like, what happens to the company? Does someone try to acquire them? Um, you know, do, do we see them make any further changes? It sounds like the, they've already kind of made their backtrack. Uh, and they're not going to change the pricing structure too much anymore. But yeah, what happens with Unity? Um, any thoughts on this ongoing saga or just no surprises? No, no surprises, but I do think that there's, uh, there's been already some speculation that I've seen around uh, about uh, is Apple going to try to bid for Unity again? Um, of course, that would raise probably like FTC uh, you know, eyebrows there, especially with Iron Source under Unity. So some something there would have to get worked out, but um it'll be it'll be interesting to see where where unity goes from here uh definitely you know a lot of of turmoil the last few weeks over there yeah i don't i don't really see any significant uh bids for unity right now uh, a couple of headwinds i think one money's not cheap right now uh, it was certainly a, a much uh better situation monetarily for acquisitions back when Applevin first was interested in, in joining up with Unity. Um, two, the, the, the second part is this has really highlighted what a challenge it is running a platform business and, and where you can actually see significant revenue from, um, especially given you know, you're now seeing even the Epic uh, now adding fees for uh, seat fees uh, for non-game usage um, for, the, uh, for the Unreal Engine. Um, yeah, certainly not a surprise about John coming out, you know, the, the level of backlash is certainly, uh, warranted some sort of level of response over on the unity side. I think the question is what type of person are they going to are they going to bring in to, to replace John? Are they going to bring someone who is more developer friendly, uh, you know, back to the days of, you know, when they, when they first started up, they really were a developer first company and, and really had that image uh, are they going to go back to something like that or are they going to try and, and maintain sort of the we need to figure out how we're going to make revenue uh out of what we have and, and try and bring somebody else in that's a little bit more um you know revenue focused and damn the responses from the, from the developers it definitely seems like um at least uh, for for the purposes of trying to keep the uh stock from plummeting too much it might be a good idea to just bring in uh someone that you know developers like but that will still do what the board wants like and, you know if i'm the board i'd just be like well let's bring in someone we know we'll do what we what we want still so we're still basically running the company but someone that will make the developers happy because trust is the major issue now right at this point so i think hey just bring in someone they like uh and then just yeah have them like mostly just say what what you know people want to hear but then do what we want to do uh, i mean that's Sounds like American politics as well, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, the, obviously, the stock is the big concern right now for the board, right? Like they, they I gotta imagine they're going to want to replace someone soon, or at least just wait till this quiets down, and then just spend some more time searching if it's not continuing to affect the stock. But speaking of the stocks, there was a uh, quite a few different things as well as some acquisition news. Want to dig into? Uh, yeah, so that was a, a great transition, and um, you know, every every week there's some little quick beats on whether it's acquisitions or um, start stock market reacting to uh, you know a bunch of the game uh, game companies that are public. So I did want to go through some quick beats from the last week 
just to keep everyone up to date because we we tend to cover a lot of these companies on the uh, regular basis. So um, some news from uh, actually two of the the Swedish companies that are aggregating and, and acquiring uh, game game companies. The first one, uh, Embracer. We've talked quite a bit about Embracer. Um, and their rookie year continues. Last week, um, they actually got dropped from several S and P lists. Um, and just for context, like what what this actually means is, you know, it doesn't really, it hasn't really impacted their stock. Um, it took a, a big hit at the end of September. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a significant drop um, that came with getting dropped from the S and P list. But it does mean that it's no longer part of kind of that um, that aggregation or or you know list of uh, companies that are being endorsed as good investments. So really, this is going to make Embracer's path to recover from you know their lowest point right now in terms of their their stock price even harder. Like they're sixty five percent of um, they've seen a sixty five percent drop. So. It's just going to make it very, very challenging, and I think it highlights just in general. You know, it it brings up questions about this strategy of aggregating companies, um, in which is what what Embracer was betting on all along and was very aggressive about. Um, there's also you know questions about you know the how the the market perceives uh, this strategy and um, just like kind of games. Um, Live ops in 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 general, I think is you know it it is hard. It's a, a gate. It's a it's a industry that has tight margins these days, and uh, that is certainly something that uh, public companies don't like to have. So it's a little bit of a a tough spot to be. Um, on the other hand, um, another aggregator, MTG, also Swedish. They uh, they kind of started around the same time as Embracer to do this kind of strategy of acquisitions, uh, but they've been very cautious about it. They haven't been fast and furious in the way that um, Embracer was. So um, you know they they their portfolio is much smaller, and they just announced their latest acquisition, uh, taking a majority uh, of seventy percent. On, of uh, Snowprint Studios, um, they're the makers of War, Warhammer Tacticus, which uh, launched last year and has been doing really, really well. Um, they've been out for a year. They got a bunch of awards. Um, they've generated twenty-four million dollars in revenue in their first year, um, and they join, uh, as I said, kind of a smaller portfolio with uh, Inno Games. Their main game being Forge of Empires, Congrade. Hutch Games that makes um, uh, Top Drives and F1 Clash, Ninja Kiwi with the Bloons TD franchise, um, and a team out of India, Play Simple, uh, that focuses on war games. Um, so that's that's the latest there on on uh, our Swedish friends. Uh, and one that came out today from the rumor mill, uh, and I'm going to caveat all of this, totally rumor mill. Uh, but Disney reportedly is looking to acquire a major publisher, and they they threw out their very non-committal, um, maybe something like EA. So we'll we'll have to see if that turns into into anything. I mean, Disney has uh, the ability to acquire just like giants, and we've seen it in 
uh, in, you know, franchises, movie franchises, just brand franchises. Um, so if they want to make it happen, they'll probably will. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's left to be seen if they actually go and, and try to, you know, acquire someone like EA or someone else. Um, it could be someone like, like take two, maybe, um, I don't know. So what, uh, any, any other additional thoughts to add to that, uh, kind of list of quick, small beats from the week? I have a couple quick hitters. Um, uh, first on, on the EA bit, uh, I, I think personally, I'm going to just throw some water on that. Like this is like the news that comes up every couple of quarters that EA and Disney are going to get together or some company is going to acquire EA. Um, I was looking at this yesterday and there was like a game developer article that had the headline like Disney considers buying EA, something like that. And then that linked to a Bloomberg article and the original Bloomberg article said something like Bob Iger's advisors recommend something like EA, something like, so it it just didn't seem very strong in terms of like sources to me. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But um, as I said, this sort of Disney EA stuff comes up all the time, but I am an EA shareholder, so I hope someone acquires them. Um, on the, the MTG side, I thought that was kind of interesting. I was reading, I think it was Invest Game, so shout out to them. Um, they had mentioned something about MTG was still kind of riding high from their uh, sale of ESL. Like they still had a bunch of cash left over from selling ESL to the Saudis, which I thought was interesting. Um, so maybe they will be doing a little bit more bargain hunting in this um, sort of uh, down market period. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think the um, like in terms of the the purchase of Snowprints there, uh, I, I do think it's MTG's strategy seems a little bit slower, a little slower pace than Embracer, not just in terms of number of acquisitions, but also getting to know their partners a little bit more before making those acquisitions. Um, and in regards to EA, yeah, it's let's see what we've had Apple acquiring EA, NBC Universal acquiring EA, Amazon, Amazon Disney, how many times? Um, like one point Microsoft was supposed to acquire them as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that I, I think uh, that for me is, would, yeah. would really it's like it's probably like Disney's getting pushed to like, you know, through like their advisors, more like Disney's getting pushed to like, hey, you should look at game companies. Um, cause you need yeah, to like, yeah. you know, add that to like for real, like they've, they've kind of like dabbled in, in games and try to like license and have some small studios, but they've never really gone big into games. And I think that that for me, like, mm-hmm. that's really kind of like the takeaway is there might be a little bit more push there, um, for Disney to consider seriously going after someone big, uh, you know, yeah. EA, Probably not, but who knows, but someone big. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I mean, they certainly are looking at what is their overall media structure. Um, You know, right now, Iger's certainly getting pushed to divest the television stations. And, you know, what is the replacement for those inside the, you know, the media ecosystem that they've put together, right? And as they're looking at, IP that allows them to uh, take advantage of, you know, all the ways they're able to utilize IP, be it from film and television through to theme parks, through to merchandise, through to, you know, all the different ways that they 
uh, take advantage of their properties and, and bring it across across all sorts of media. Um, you know, there is a source for that in in video games, and you know, we're certainly starting to see that more and more inside. Um, you know, things being brought to television series, you know, such as The Last of Us, and seeing the success of those these days as compared to some of the challenges that bringing video game IP had to uh, to other media, um, you know, much earlier. Um, so, I, I mean, I can certainly see why people would again link Disney with EA. It's just, you know, but at this point, yeah, I 100% agree. This is just smoke and rumors. I think that the, the, the whole conversation around DA, Disney acquiring any game company is an interesting one because obviously they've, you know, they've had games made uh, around their IP and, you know, some of them have done well, some of them have not, but they've generally been a company that makes their money off of kind of licensing out that IP, right? They build up the IP through movies and TV shows and things like that, and then they license it out and that's, you know, part of how they make, obviously they maintain some control over it. So, I mean, it would be interesting, but I think their own, like doing a lot of that sort of content creation themselves like through disney plus for example hasn't worked out great for them uh but at the same time like that's part of the problem right is disney is not doing well in theaters because theaters like disney was already having to hardball them as much as possible just to get like more profit than anyone else because they were driving most of the ticket sales through the all the properties they own and then that's kind of died off for the most part and they've had a whole bunch of bombs in a row for the most part, both in theaters as well as in Disney Plus, which seems to be like a big problem for Disney is just that streaming service altogether. So at this point, it's like, well, what do you do? Obviously, if, if your TV channel isn't working, if your uh, movies in the theaters aren't really working, uh, the theme parks are down, like where do they go from there? And it, in staying in the entertainment business, it does make some sense to consider whether or not video games are a good fit. The, the question is, obviously, like they're not just going to make if they were to do so, right, they wouldn't just make a bunch of just Disney IP games, right? Or Marvel or Star Wars. I mean, obviously those would get made and those there's tons of those already, right? Like they, uh, they already like inhabit every platform. But the question is then, you know, what kind of company with what reputation would they go for? Like they, in movie studios, for example, they, they had kind of a few different movie studios that would do different kinds of things that didn't necessarily fit with uh, their sort of family friendly fare, like Miramax and things like that, which that obviously turned out very anti Disney friendly. But uh, you know, there's, that's what I wonder is like, if they were to go to acquire a company, obviously acquiring company uh, with a, with a both good and bad reputation, like EA could be interesting, but that, that seems like the big question to me is if they're, considering that which they probably should be just in terms of uh where else they could go from here uh it would be who actually makes the fit there but i mean in terms of people like moving their stuff to other platforms and stuff like that uh we did have some interesting news uh, related uh, to this in terms of uh, diablo moving over to steam uh, along with eventually you know many other uh activision blizzard titles following up from uh, overwatch thank you Devin. and as Devin just gave away half of my story uh, Diablo is headed off to Steam. Uh, so Diablo will be showing up uh, on Steam uh, as of October 17th. Uh, the page is already live on Steam um, and really is a, a follow-up of Activision trying to diversify a little bit where they're offering their titles. Uh, Overwatch had made a similar move previously. Um and of course, uh, you know, now with the Activision Microsoft deal closing, um, you know, we'll start seeing uh, Diablo and other titles starting to show up on another platform, uh, namely the Game Pass. So uh, recently, what the feedback has been is that look, you know, the 
as soon as the the deal closes, which people are expecting will close uh, somewhere probably uh, late this week, early next week, um, that you know we're going to start seeing a whole flood of Activision titles on the Game Pass. Probably not immediately. Uh, we may see some fairly soon, but by the sounds of it, uh, the companies are, are are prepping people for 2024s for when titles will start showing up on Game Pass. Um, so. You know, we can probably expect to see Diablo 4 and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 showing up on Game Pass, uh, hopefully early 2024 or somewhere uh, between there and mid-2024, I'm sure. Um, and for me, one of the interesting things, you know, now that the the overall um, transaction looks like it's going to close and we're going to start seeing all the Activision Blizzard King titles uh, as part of the the uh, overall Microsoft uh, ecosphere. The one one question I have for the group here is, um, once that has happened, Microsoft's able to then start putting in their Xbox Live uh, login across all of their titles. So, um, you know, already exists with all of the, the current Microsoft titles, but now this can go into Blizzard titles, Activision titles, uh, King titles, and, in effect, they will actually have the largest or widest breadth view of players' habits, where they're logging in, what games they're logging into. You know, if people play Candy Crush, well, what other games do they play? Do they play on console? Do they play on uh, Do they play on PC? Um, so I really am curious to see what the, um, you know, what Microsoft does with that information. Are they going to start seeing some... Um, you know, suggestions of, hey, you like playing Candy Crush? Well, you should try Flight Sim on PC. Or, you know, you really like playing uh, such and such RPG, you should go check out this other game. Uh, but I'm really curious to see what Microsoft does with that information. And I'm I wanted to open it up to the panel and kind of get your your all's take in terms of, uh, you know, once once Microsoft has that sort of information, what are the things they could do with it? Uh, I think the first thing for me that comes to mind um, is that they they actually have an ad network that they could plug everything into and, and get better insights. Like when you uh, open up like your start your Windows menu or your uh, like the little sidebar on Windows, there's a bunch of ads. They're starting to put ads in all of their experiences. Um, that's that's a potential revenue stream for them. I think they can certainly learn a lot with all that data. I guess my hesitation is that like something that large will take a long time, I think, to really uh, bear fruit in practice. Uh, this is a, a massive organization uh, with many different sort of um, parts that need to be sort of integrated uh, from a data standpoint and then, you know, cleaned up and organized and made accessible to everyone. And um, I think they'll get there, but I think that that's like a pretty large undertaking, um, at least based on my experience working in large organizations. But uh, I think you're totally right that that's like a huge opportunity for them. Uh, and what they do with it will be really interesting. They could do all sorts of segmentation and targeted offers and recommendations. Um, yeah, it could be quite interesting. Like they already have that infrastructure in place because, you, you know, right now you can download Microsoft collections on mobile and it does have Xbox Live in, integrated into that. So they do have the infrastructure, the ability to, have all of those pieces already tied together. It's now just adding in the, the titles themselves in order to fill out that information. Yeah, I think that um, 
Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical about it uh, just because, so there's, there's two pieces um, that, I mean, it, it would be incredibly powerful if they do anything smart, like even like basically like aggregating and, and smart about it. Um, but I do, I do agree that it's going to be um, potentially like they, they need to have a vision for what that is first to be able to go to each individual team and each, each individual studio. Cause you are like separate studios that are running all, all these different games that are, you know, across the board um, and get them integrated into that system. And that tends to, as, as Matt was saying, I agree that it's just super hard to get that traction in a large organization coming from kind of like the mandate almost of like Xbox, Microsoft, into each individual, you know, team and game that they own, or at least the ones that they care to to get that information from. So I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about um, their ability to execute it. I, I I think that they need to have a super strong vision on how they use this basically footprint that you're calling out, which is I, I totally agree. It's incredible, like just footprint across almost the whole the whole industry, if not the whole like every single distribution platform. Um, but if they don't have kind of like this cohesive vision of how to do it and what to do with it, it's going to be either just thrown in like, hey, an additional login that you can do. And then you know they don't do anything with that information. Or it's even like to get to that place where teams even integrate that additional login, it just gets pushed into like the and priority in the roadmap and not really tackled. The reason why I think there is an internal push to do it, or there could be an internal push to do it, uh, is if you look at Microsoft's push for as a services company, uh, with game passing you know, of games as a service uh, in terms of the distribution side of things, um, you know, those those platforms work really well when you have a lot of content with a variety of types of content that makes people go, yeah, this is something I'm interested in paying, you know, nine, you know, nine bucks a month, $15 a month, 20 bucks a month. Um, and so if they've got that, that integration and they've got all of the titles as part of that, then it just makes a much more compelling offer. Um, and yeah, we're seeing the Game Pass is something that they are wanting to to keep moving forward. Um, and for me, that certainly two different minds of that. You know, from on one side, uh, as a parent, I love the fact that Game Pass means that I can say, "Hey, you've got a whole hundreds of games to go play. I don't need to go buy a bunch of individual games for my kids." Um, but you know, as a game developer. Uh, you know, the business model of, of making games for a Game Pass or a subscription service certainly isn't as enticing as uh, more of an open market type game. I have a couple thoughts related to that. I'd be curious to get your guys' feedback on related to this whole transition, both over to Steam and over to Microsoft. Uh, somewhat related. So uh, the first thing is that uh, Overwatch moving over to Steam might have made some sense because it was like a free-to-play game and they obviously were not doing super great. Uh, and with a free-to-play game, you're trying to get the biggest audience possible so it makes sense to go to the biggest PC platform. Uh, you're like, okay, well, I mean, despite the huge amount of negative reviews, you know, it potentially exposes itself. People go, well, I can at least try it for free. Whereas moving over a premium game like Diablo that requires an upfront purchase is a is a pretty big deal because uh, when it comes to upfront purchases, you're dissuaded by negative reviews or at least 
I certainly am when I see like a, you know, mostly negative or even mixed, I'm, you know, unwilling to make a purchase more often than not. And there's, there's no doubt it's going to be review bombed to death. Like uh, whether people like actually dislike the game or just dis- dislike a lot of the monetization, things like that. It seems like it's not going to be a great thing for Dabble. I mean, they may get some additional sales, maybe during Steam sales, but this doesn't seem like something that's really doing much to expand Dabble's audience, especially this late in the game when they tend to not be able to expand super great. Uh, and it's time to start when season two starts. What, I mean, the upside is that's when they've addressed a whole bunch of supposed issues, like quality of life kinds of things. And so that maybe this is a hope that people will give it a new chance. But on the other hand, I do wonder if this is part of a transition to move away from Battle.net, the whole launcher and everything like that, as part of the, maybe maybe towards the Microsoft transition, where they start to move towards, you guys are talking about merging IDs and things like that. Uh, You know, Bethesda games, yeah, Bethesda has their own launcher, but look at the games kind of moving into the Xbox app and the the Windows, like, uh, you know, Xbox uh, games for PC and things like that. So that seems like where this could be headed, in my opinion, and like that this Steam transition is kind of a way to uh, start to transition away from dependency on battle.net, uh, you know, prior to being able to move into the other thing. Obviously, you know, Call of Duty as well is in Steam, for example. So it's not the first uh, Activision Blizzard game, just one of the, you know, the second Blizzard game specifically. The other thing is um, that you mentioned the Game Pass stuff, and it, it seems like it'll be an interesting mix for Blizzard, especially because they have not been good at sort of free-to-play live service models. When it comes to making money, they've been much better, at least traditionally, at the sort of big, highly quality, polished, you know, models where they they put out a game. It's somewhat worth buying at launch, or at least shortly after launch. And uh, and then you hopefully get your money's worth out of time uh, and maybe buy some things. But in general, like the, the in-app purchase thing seems to work better for something like Call of Duty. And while Activision has had a lot of influence over Blizzard, it hasn't really gone well with Blizzard's audience. So I'd be really curious, especially how that might be affected by Game Pass uh, with these games being on there. Like, so for example, like I, I, I suspect that Starfield didn't get hugely impacted in sales by Game Pass, but as this goes forward, especially people skeptical about future games coming out of Blizzard, uh, may consider just trying them out on Game Pass. For, so for example, I'm very guilty of, I bought Payday 3 uh, you know, prior to launch so I could preload it and all that. Uh, saw the horrible reviews and thought, you know what? I have Game Pass. I'm just going to get a refund on Steam because they're very generous about the refunds, like sight unseen, and then just play it on Game Pass before I decide if I want to buy it back again. So the, those kinds of issues will, will creep up, I imagine, as there's more like kind of competition between those. Uh, and then I guess just lastly, as a side note, uh, the merging of the IDs will be, uh, I think, interesting. If anyone remembers, uh, or I'm still dealing with the repercussions of the, the Mojang merge from Minecraft, over to Microsoft IDs, I still don't think I've completed that successfully after many years of trying uh, to merge those two. So I do hope it's nothing like that. And there's the chance we could see battle.net IDs uh, completely subsumed by that that service. So thoughts? Yeah, I it won't be clean. <laughs> we'll just say that right now. It, it, it's going to be in, in a uh, hot mess for a while as they sort that through. Um, but yeah, I mean, and certainly they're not, EA's had challenges in terms of switching stuff over from various systems, even internal systems. Uh, you know, as you said, Microsoft and uh, Mojang had problems with uh, Minecraft. Yeah, it, it's going to be a, it'll be a hot mess for a while. It's an interesting point about BattleNet. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I also didn't didn't know before you mentioned it, Devin, that Bethesda had their own launcher too. Did they, did they do away with that completely now? 
or, or they still have it. Like I, I'm trying to remember, like last time I went to try and update Fallout 76, uh, which I don't really play much, but it was like, yeah, I'll try it out. Uh, it, I, I think it kind of directed me over to um, the other installer where I installed it from, but I, I don't quite recall. But I do imagine that that is, you know, it's not the greatest launcher. Uh, there's not really a solid reason to keep it. So, I mean, might as well move away from it, especially with uh, there's like there's no reason Xbox like Microsoft wouldn't want to promote their Xbox app over that any day. So it seems like some of these launchers uh, from these companies acquiring them should probably just be phased out. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think like there's something to say for like um, uh, brand affinity, right? Like people might feel more strongly about Blizzard than they do about Microsoft or you know, they, they don't really follow the day-to-day of the acquisition talks or whatever. Like, I'm only interested in my Blizzard games. I'm going to go to battle on that. Maybe there's a reason to keep it. But uh, to your point, maybe it's also like a, you know, to use a, a, a buzzword, a synergies thing uh, with the acquisition where they can just kind of like combine forces and, you know, have it all under one sort of central tech team. Um, you think they'd want to, you, you think they want when you're going into those games to see the other games they have on offer and the value of the game pass and stuff sure. like that. It seems like it's a, it's kind of an upsell moment for Microsoft. True. True. Yeah. You can always keep the branding side of things. All same tech underneath. Just once branded. Yeah. Battle.net, one's branded. Maybe they have a battle net tray in the Xbox game pass uh, app or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know it's not uh, necessarily a part of Microsoft, but Another sort of example, uh, Riot still has their launcher and all of their games are in Game Pass 2 and it's like sort of a separate update flow. Um, granted, not part of the Microsoft mothership, but another example. And think about it from like the game dev side of it, from like the consumer side, it's like it's great to be able to, you know, access everywhere, anywhere and uh, just like that ease from, from the developer side, from the game dev side. Man, that just like is... It, it just adds so much effort um, across the board. Like the more, the more launchers you have, the more like places where you're like distributing the game. Uh, it's in many, in many ways it's worth it, right? If you are like reaching those players, but it's, uh, it, it definitely doesn't come, come for free. Of course, big games, big teams have the, the central teams to help them with all of that distribution as well. Um, but it just makes it harder for the smaller teams to even break breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who've tried playing uh, Ubisoft games or even some of the EA games through Steam, you know kind of the pain of having the two launcher problem where basically like one launcher just launches the other, which launches <laughs> the game. And then there's weird, there's weird sometimes problems that come from that. Um, like, for example, I happen to have uh, bought, you know, Rainbow Six on Ubisoft, which apparently was the minority. Everyone seems to have bought it on Steam, but I actually have like a lot less problems launching the game because I'm just launching it from the native launcher instead of having to launch two separate things. And, you know, that seems like that could create problems with updating. And then, so for example, EA uh, went from their sort of older launcher, that, that sort of origin one over to like the newer one. And that caused its own weird issues with having to like update and install, even if you were just playing the games through Steam. So it does seem like it, it cleans up some of that mess by just eventually transitioning people away from that older launcher. Uh, especially like EA, you know, demonstrates when they could just kind of gave up on, you know, forcing everyone to their own thing. So I guess we'll see like uh, whether or not that's a priority. I think it's probably an inevitability at some point, uh, unless they really, really want to keep that brand affinity. But I think at this point, Blizzard's unfortunately destroyed a lot of their own brand affinity uh, through many of their releases as of late. Uh, we'll see if they can recover that. But speaking of EA, uh, they uh, made some interesting plays here with the FIFA license. 
Uh, yeah, so EA finally reached the, the, the day where they dropped the FIFA license and rebranded to um, EA FC 24 with the launch of their new game, um, kind of this year's uh, not FIFA game. Um, and, you know, this this has been talked about for many years. There were rumors in, uh, you know, many, many cycles. There was preparation. Earlier this year, um, EA explained a little bit more of their thinking. And, of course, there's a big piece around it um, from the monetary perspective where, you know, the, the FIFA license uh First of all, the last time they negotiated 10 years ago, they had very heavy restrictions on what they could and couldn't do with it um, and what they could build with it, plus a very hefty price tag. Um, you know, there's reports that go as high as like $1 billion uh, in a four-year cycle. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to like actually like dig deeper into like, is that is that true or not? But regardless, I can see, you know, FIFA being extremely expensive um, and only giving kind of like a bump potentially like every four years with, with the World Cup. Um, so EA kind of aside from that, they also mentioned that they wanted to build more of a platform where they can really speak to fans within specific markets. So be able to, you know, speak more directly to like UK fans with like Premier League and um, Spain with La Liga and just like different, um, you know, licenses and just, uh, you know, more affinity to what, what the day-to-day uh, football world looks like. And um, the other piece that was very interesting is that they also mentioned that they're looking to build um, experiences where players can create, uh, you know, more custom modes, maps, kind of more of this movement of, uh, games at pla- as platforms as opposed to just, you know, kind of these static games that are controlled by the game developer only. Um, so that's the context that they gave. Um, and, you know, the day was here. <laughs> uh, they they launched the game. Uh, they pushed really hard on the on the rebranding. And um, from the from the game specific, from 23 FIFA uh, to EAFC 24, the game's not significantly different. So the main, you know, the biggest thing is is the rebrand that they're pushing with this one iteration. Uh, but they did uh, kind of take a victory lap, uh, calling out their biggest launch period uh, after week one, where they saw um, over 11 million players uh, you know, get the game compared to 10 uh, from FIFA 23 last year. Uh, and their uh, EA Sports FC Mobile also saw um, pretty, you know, impressive numbers and like I think it was like 11 million downloads in the first 10 days of release. So all of that is to say it it sounds like they didn't take any hit with you know moving away from the brand that they did a good uh, launch. Um, but one of the questions that you know I. I have a few questions here for for the group, but one is, you know, can EA actually sustain this success um, and, you know, execute on that strategy of attracting new players? And do they actually have the DNA to build, you know, more of a platform um, where they even reference like Fortnite creator features? 
or is you know EA not equipped or or we don't see it feasible that they will actually like you know go after that more ambitious um vision of of what you know EA I was going to say FIFA but it's no longer FIFA uh, FC the FC EAFC brand can can turn into can I just ask a, a clarifying question and maybe you don't know the answer but like what what do they mean when they say expand into a platform because like when I think of platforms I think of uh, Fortnite, Roblox, something like that and these are games that don't ship every year um, like Call of Duty is, isn't a platform um, at least I wouldn't call it that but I don't know maybe you you have some more insight into that. So when they talk about it as a platform they definitely reference Fortnite which is what piqued my interest and that was one of the, the questions you know in my mind was are they actually going to move from these yearly incremental new releases to a live operated platform game, right? That those two are very different. Um, so that's part of like my big question mark on, on this strategy and them like touting it is that they just look completely different. Like it sounds like they're positioning themselves to be able to do it, but they're just like completely different muscles they need to develop and, and, you know, way of thinking and operating the, the franchise. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with you, Tammy. Those are much, much different looking teams than uh, what they've had to date where, you know, they very much are the, all right, we got nine months to build the next game and let's get it out. Um, and, you know, Maybe that's the reason why this year was, uh, you know, much more about switching branding than about feature set. If they've got a, you know, a different team that they're spinning up to to try and tackle this platform type of approach, but um, I, I don't know the 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 FIFA machine that has existed for so long. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, it's a big st- big shift to try and turn into a different direction. Um, I personally think they're going to have challenges because that's, the, as you pointed out, it's a vastly different mindset. I guess the question here is whether the audience is fine with just like mostly buying uh, roster change kind of upgrades. Uh, I mean, there's, there's an interesting point to be made in terms of like uh, the whole retail space uh, versus, uh, you know, the for the seasonal stuff. Like if GameStop is maybe just not, for example, relevant anymore, um, the whole idea, if you're just buying digitally anyways, of selling back your previous year and getting essentially the new year at a discount. If that's, you know, weakening, there might be less drive to pay full price for a brand new retail game. And that's already become kind of like difficult to manage anyways. If you look at like, you know, what's happened with Diablo four in terms of trying to manage sort of that in between live ops, uh, making profit and the upfront price has just become such a, a sticking point. And then there was also kind of the thing that we had uh, joked about when we first were discussing this topic uh, way back, which was the idea that, you know, come Christmas time, does, does grandma buy the kids the wrong game or not be able to find it, right? And if you're in a situation where it's not retail anymore and you're just upgrading the game essentially yearly, first off, it's a lot easier to deliver a lot, hopefully smaller files to be able to deliver quickly. Uh, and then potentially they maybe could piecemeal it out. As you guys said, maybe they don't have the experience for it uh, and that might be something they have to deal with, maybe even hire some people for, or, you know, bring in some expertise, but it does seem like there's the possibility that seasonal games might make more sense 
to transition towards more of a digital thing. And, I, and I'm even curious if, the, if that's something that uh, we're also seeing from, say, something like Call of Duty that you mentioned in uh, at least the war zone, right? So one of the things that I thought was interesting was uh, when I went to make some purchases recently in uh, uh, Warzone uh, 2, now, Warzone 2 is a sequel, obviously. It's a different game from Warzone 1, and there was issues with transitioning stuff over from there. And with uh, Modern Warfare 3 coming out, I was like concerned, like, is my stuff going to work? Uh, am I immediately going to lose this, like, a month from now? And they made sure to call out on the actual store page once I found it. Uh, no, it'll transition over, but this, that makes me think, is there, there no Warzone 3 then? Uh, are they, you know, shifting at least that game to being upgraded and upgraded and upgraded instead of, uh, you know, a full new game? And maybe this we're just seeing kind of the tip of the spear for a lot of these games that were annual looking at ways to make it a little smoother transition and focus on less around building huge feature sets out. I mean, we know all the money in FC or FIFA is an ultimate team anyways, not in that upfront retail price. Like that's not really where they make the money. They would rather just people like not hesitate on upgrading for the next year and get them to just buy the, the ultimate team stuff again. Anyways, I, I think there's probably more profit in that than, than risking them not doing more ultimate team because they didn't upgrade the game. I mean, that's just my take on it. I mean, if you guys have any thoughts. But I think those are two slightly different things in terms of revenue approach versus um, how the how the how the game is actually distributed and uh, and the team composition. Because you can get a lot of what you're talking about from a revenue approach, even with a more traditional team structure. Um, but that you know, transitioning, I think, to the team structure is a little bit more of a challenge. I think you're you're right, Devin, in that uh, such a huge chunk of the revenues is from Ultimate Team, uh, and that does lend itself to you know an easy transition to more of a live operation style uh, of game production. But um, you know, is the is the team ready to move to that that level and 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 really make that large of a bet with that large of a, a revenue generating title as as FIFA is for for EA. And one of the things I saw uh, with Rainbow Six uh, was Ubisoft really struggling to make that shift, specifically because they were typically a company that was built around let's build and ship and then maybe uh, support with a small team with an expansion, uh, and that was about it. They didn't really have like live ops experience for the most part, or at least a strong uh, set of teams around it. And even the whole organizational structure with all the different studios still just wasn't equipped. I mean, they have some studios that had some experience, uh, like Singapore had done uh, Ghost Recon Phantoms, for example. But it was a huge, huge difficult thing for them to do because a lot of the mindset around even the development pipeline over time, how much staffing to keep on a particular game uh, was huge issues because uh, they didn't have necessarily that same much. Like they were used to just, let's take all our people and just ship them over to another game to work on something else. Uh, and this was over at Ubisoft Montreal. And so they, they had problems with like, oh, we need those people back to support this. And uh, so, so things like that, yeah, are absolutely not easy. I, I totally agree that making that kind of shift uh, would require the people with, hopefully that's some experience in that, even if it's from another company uh, to help make that transition because there's just so many pieces, especially as Matt pointed to earlier, a large company like that, uh, that making those kind of transitions is not easy. Even at the, the team level, you're still dealing with uh, a lot of times executive high level uh, interference and a lot of that, the, a lot of those decisions, especially as we go into an environment uh, where belts are starting to tighten quite a bit. And uh, I mean, speaking of Ubisoft as well and belt tightening, uh, just quickly want to throw out as well that also they, speaking of live ops in this regard, uh, X Defiant, their, their next uh, game that's sort of a uh, live ops kind of experience in, in sort of that, I guess, 
related franchise because it used to be Tom Clancy uh, and they took that off, uh, which, you know, purposely to give them a little bit more freedom uh, around their IP usage. And I think just some of the restrictions of the the license from the Tom Clancy estate was like maybe a little restricting on what they could do. Uh, unfortunately, it was indefinitely delayed. Uh, so that is not a, a great situation uh, as that adds to the pile of long delayed games. So hopefully this doesn't become a skull and bones kind of situation where it seems to be delayed forever. Uh, but the, the reason they gave was, was kind of interesting in that they specifically said that there was just like the, I'm trying to remember the phrasing now, but around uh, like the expectations not being met or like uh, something, what they seem to be alluding to possibly was some game design or balance issues that they were unable to reconcile uh, quickly enough to push for a release as they were, they already hit gold basically and pushed it to consoles, got kicked back for bugs and things like that. We're working on that, fixing those. Uh, and then did a public test and decided it just like wasn't in the right shape that they wanted to be in, which seems like a, a big deal for a game that uh, first off is live service. Therefore it should be able to ideally balance a lot of it on the fly. Uh, but it might just be more fundamental, either monetization related issues or balance issues. And I have to say as someone who played like pretty much all the betas for that game, except for literally that last one, uh, it definitely did have some balance issues. So I could definitely see that being a, uh, an issue, but I don't know. Definitely a, just a, a side note there. Not, not a story we want to get heavily into. Um, actually, sorry, just to go back to FC for a second. I did have a question for Tammy. Um, so one of the things that, that really drove uh, back moves was FIFA. Uh, FIFA was, uh, for a while, the competition with Konami and winning 11 and those two different game styles. And th that really pushed, I think, both games to try and find their their version of what they thought football should be for players. Um, and, you know, right now, the EA doesn't really have that same level of competition. So my question for Tammy is, do you think that there is uh, the potential for someone to push EA into, uh, into a particular direction or... Without that competition, do you think they're more likely to be a bit more stagnant outside of branding? That, that's a that's a great question because um, I did have in my notes kind of like an open question about um, whether detaching from FIFA makes them more vulnerable to having a competitor swoop in and you know basically either either try to dethrone them or you know kind of get them back on, on kind of this high alert of like man we we need to push the the envelope here um it sounds like they're trying to stay uh, a little bit ahead of it just with rethinking their strategy with the franchise so i you know based on the numbers that they're seeing i think that they've just given themselves some breathing room on um, you know, competition not swooping in and like dethroning them very, very easily or very quickly. The next uh, World Cup cycle is not for a few years. Um, so if you know FIFA goes and licenses the the game the the, the brand to another developer, um, you know, EA if they're if they're staying on top of it, they can pretty much prevent getting getting pushed. Uh, in a in a specific direction, and them kind of forging, continue forge their own their own path and their own future. Um, I do think that uh, I don't. You know, it, it's hard to see someone that can overtake them or push them at that level of competition right now. Um, but you know, I I do would want to see them 
I do want to see them reinvent the the cadence, how they're thinking about um, the franchise in general. I think that if they don't, then you know they're going to leave a, a door open there. I think they have a real competitive moat with licenses. You know, I think any any competitor would really struggle to go through that patchwork of negotiations and agreements with players associations and clubs around the world and leagues. Like that's, that's a huge competitive advantage. So I, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but if I were trying to compete in that space, I would, I would take a different angle. Like I would go for less of a straight football simulation and do more like a, a casual soccer game or like an arcade style game or I don't know, a different a football manager type game, like um, something different. Um, Cause that's, I, I imagine I'm, I've never worked in that space, but I imagine it's very difficult to overcome that um, negotiating and like agreement advantage. Yeah, they do have, they do have signed Mario like Strikers. 30, 30 leagues uh, independently. Like they did a whole lot of work to get, you know, 30 leagues, I think it was like 100 plus stadiums, like 700 plus teams. Now you need a, a, you're right, Matt, like you need a machinery to get any sort of license at that, at that level. That's why my brain went to like, oh, they license FIFA and like some other team licenses FIFA and like that's how they shortcut it. Um, But you have to time it with the World Cup. um, And then what comes next, right? Like they, they need to, like whatever team would do that, they need to, keep you know re- like what do they do next like the, the world cup only comes every every four years um and speaking of like a more casual approach there's actually like a little game that came out uh, i think like last week on mobile afk football from uh wildlife studios uh and they it's a um idol rpg like a a, a football manager idol rpg I was just like playing around with it a little bit. Uh, it's funny how they mentioned it, Matt. And I'm like, they, they took like a pretty uh, creative approach where they, you know, they're, they're doing lookalikes of famous uh, players to just not have to license license stuff. Yeah, I guess there's also the, always the, the opportunity to make a football game that just uses your own IP. Like as uh, Dave mentioned, Mario Strikers, there used to be Mega Man Soccer. I mean, there's also the you know the ones that are trying to be that sort of MOBA soccer hybrid, like Omega Strikers, which unfortunately isn't doing great. But I mean, as you as you said, Matt, there are alternatives to just trying to just straight up compete. I mean, obviously the Madden games were popular, but NFL Blitz did fine on its own. NBA Jam was a thing for a while. I don't know if those have like super long lifespans, but for for one offs, they seem to do okay if they if they can get people's attention. So there's opportunity. I I wouldn't necessarily be out there trying to get the, the FIFA license, hoping I could compete with them. I think given the, uh, the way that uh, FIFA's shown their negotiation tactics to go, uh, I think I would, I would be pretty hard pressed to try and make a deal with them uh, unless they started getting desperate, uh, which, you know, wouldn't be soon after this deal. You'd, you'd be waiting a bit. I would think but we'll see uh, definitely like a lot of uh, potential for things to shift over time. But in the meantime, EA seems to be doing fine and Christmas season hasn't even hit yet. So we'll see if grandma, can find the game on the shelves for that as a uh, black Friday, you know, hits next month. But in the meantime, uh, we, we just wanted to kind of quickly go over some of the broader topic and, and recent events around layoffs, which, uh, you know, we've kind of not touched on too much, but it's, it's becoming a very uh, popular, I guess, thing at the moment. 
Yeah, sadly. Um, in many ways, this is like one of the news stories of the year for our industry. And um, given uh, some of the recent, uh, I guess, updates to this story, I thought it would be worth sort of bringing to the group and um, seeing if we can make sense of it a little bit. So, um, you know, if you're in the industry and you've been on LinkedIn recently, it's like almost every day, every other day, someone's posting about their studio shutdown. Uh, their company's going through layoffs, reduction in force. Um, and there was an article from VentureBeat uh, that references a site called videogamelayoffs.com that tracks this. Um, and by their count, last month, September, saw 17 gaming companies issue layoffs, which was the highest monthly total for 2023 thus far. There have already been five in October. Um, and they, by their count, over 6,100 gaming jobs have been cut in 2023. Uh, and even um, uh, videogamelayoffs.com uh, states that this number is likely underreported. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, it's probably much more than 6,100. Um, and just a, a couple of uh, highlights, lowlights, the companies that have laid off the most people here at the top, uh, Unity. Uh, then uh, not far behind them was Epic Games. Uh, Amazon Embracer has gone through a number of uh, reductions in force, EA as well. Um, Sega, Gameloft, CD Projekt, and then Microsoft. Um, so obviously these are all big companies. You have to be big to begin with to have layoffs of that size. Um, but there's also, you know, countless, uh, smaller studios, startups that have struggled and gone through, through layoffs. So, um, you know, I, there's, there's no one specific story here, but I wanted to kind of open it up to the group and just ask a couple of questions around like, where do we see this going? Because obviously, like, it's a tough economy outside of gaming, too, and layoffs are occurring in uh, tech more broadly. But for our industry specifically, uh, maybe just to start the discussion, uh, do you all see this as like a like a right sizing, like these companies overhired and now we're getting back to, you know, quote unquote, the, the right size for these organizations? Or is this just going to be kind of like a shuffling of the decks where people go from big companies to small companies or they go from one company to another uh, where they're, they're, they find a, a more long-term fit? Uh, or maybe it's something else entirely. Uh, let's just start there. Uh, what, what do you all think? Is this a right-sizing? Um, I think we are in a situation... The game industry has gone through cycles where they've had you know larger layoff periods, smaller layoff periods. There's cycles that happen during the course of every year. Uh, I unfortunately don't think that this is really the end of it. There are a lot of companies that have shipped, you know, are in process of shipping their uh, big Christmas title with that, unfortunately tends to come a reduction in size of the teams that worked on that. Um, so unfortunately I do see it as, as continuing. There are a number of other things that are a little bit unique though, to this particular period where you've got the combination of coming off a very, large uptake in gaming through a period of COVID, which is now cooling off. Um, and even though if you look at it from a growth perspective and kind of leveled out the COVID period, we're still on an overall as an industry, we're continuing to grow. Um, it is a reduction from that COVID period. So people were hiring for that time, you know, for that time uh, hiring for, you know, Hey, this is maybe the new normal. Um, 
Item number two that's contributing to everything, money is no longer cheap. It's no longer easy to um, fund development, fund people. Uh, Item number three, inflation. You know, it's not just more expensive for people. It's more expensive for companies. So, uh, you know, inflation is certainly taking a hit on, on everything right now. So I think it's really a combination of factors that is really attributing itself to, to where we are today with the number of layoffs. There are a number of openings inside the games industry. So I do think that there will be some shift, um, but you know, also based on what I've seen in other cycles, we will see some people decide that they're going to leave the industry that, you know, the, the video game industry certainly has its highs, but it's also got its lows and, you know, some people are going to look for a little bit more consistent, um, you know, type of employment. I've seen people that, you know, left really exciting video game jobs to go work, you know, making programs for insurance companies. And that words very much, I'm working nine to five and that's it. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, my thoughts are, you know, it's, it's a little bit of unprecedented time in terms of the number of factors that are uh, taking um taking into account for, for all these layoffs. And uh, unfortunately, it's not quite done yet. Yeah, and I think to to, to add a little bit to what you were saying, Dave, in terms of, um, you know, the, the is there a reshuffle happening? I think part of uh, what's very new in, in this, you know, instance of, you know, layoffs and, and boosts and, and, and bursts of, of bubbles, if, if we were to call it like a bubble of, of, uh, post during COVID where, where we had a high, um, is what you were saying about money is no longer cheap to, to find basically like, uh, you know, with all of the, the broader economic factors, it's harder and harder for, you know, small companies right now to pop up because and like startups to, to get going because, Funding is is much tighter, um, with the exception of, and, and this has even slowed down. But with the exception of teams that are taking on some AI angle, and money is is flowing freely with that AI angle. The difference is that part of that pitch is we're going to stay small and lean and leverage AI so that we don't have to hire. You know, we hire half the people. We we are like a much smaller, leaner team and find these efficiencies through AI. Um, so, you know, although we are going to see more, I think more jobs open with kind of this influx of startups that are getting funded, um, you know, for, for AI endeavors, I think it's going to be much slower to ramp up and, and have a, a, a cap there because it comes with this assumption of um, headcount efficiencies. Seems like that it might be a good idea if you're just kind of laid off for a while to then learn that AI skill set. So you could say, well, you know, hire me because I could do double the work. Uh, you know, if they're looking for those efficiencies, if they can't find those people to like in the remaining people in the company to fill that, but just a thought. I, I definitely would encourage anyone to learn the, the AI tools uh, if you have the bandwidth, whether or not you've been laid off. But um, I, so, okay, I think a lot of great points raised. Um, one, uh, maybe just to rephrase the question a little bit. I heard inflation. I heard, um, you know, funding is, is drying up, um, you know, uh, difficult environment. Um, but outside of maybe like the COVID boom for gaming, uh, I wonder if this if these factors are 
unique to games or if we're gaming is just experiencing the same thing that every other industry is experiencing like many other industries are being disrupted by ai many other industries are facing uh difficult funding environments inflationary um you know economy like is there anything specific to gaming that we're um seeing the fallout of um i don't know i I think the last time we kind of had that same sort of thought you know games are recession proof um, there was different types of entertainment available, right? Like back then it was, you didn't have your Netflix, you didn't have free to play games. You didn't have options that, um, you know, allowed you to, uh, get a hold of a lot of content for very, very inexpensive or for free or, you know, for you know, 15 bucks a month. Um, so I, I do think that there certainly is a bit of a, a change there, um, you know, if your your options were, am I going to spend 15 bucks for two hours of entertainment or am I going to spend 50 bucks for 60 hours of entertainment? You know, a lot of people would say, well, I'm, I'll pay the 60 I'm entertained for quite a while. Um, you know, th- those that decision point has is, is certainly changed this time around. So I'm not sure if we're going to see that same level of, um, you know, willingness to spend when they've got different options. Uh, that are certainly a lot cheaper for people to to undertake. I think that there's there's also one piece that is is going to be a factor here, and it's a little bit of a longer term. But you know, we have kind of this this aging generation of gamers, right? That uh, you know grew up with games, uh, and we have kind of like the new generation of gamers coming coming to age, starting to get uh, you know a little bit more disposable income, um, you know, with, with Gen Zers and, and the next generation as well. I think one of the big differences is like, they're much more heavily gamers. Like I, I was looking at some surveys and like, you know, it's like the majority of, you know, the generation plays games in some way or form. Um, but there's also a, a piece there where we have these platforms, these games as platforms with Minecraft, with Roblox that are uh, encouraging them and teaching them to build their own games. And a lot of them are like much smaller, like, you know, now you have developers that are like 20 years old and have been developing games for Roblox for 10 years or some, something like that. Uh, and I think that that's just, it's just going to change the industry in, in some way. And it's going to change, you know, the, how we think about, you know, just jobs and teams in uh, the size of teams. It's going to take a little bit longer for that to, you know, shuffle out and, and see where we land. But I think it is, it's definitely going to uh, have a, have an impact. Yeah, it definitely seems like I, the impression I, I always get in situations like this, where a lot of this stuff's kind of converging is that it might be time for some business model shift. Like obviously business models don't necessarily completely go away, but there starts to become an opportunity just when the conditions are right for some new ideas or some adapted ideas to come in potentially, you know, just kind of that evolution adaptation. And so like, you know, Dave talking about uh, the sort of streaming services being this sort of like, I can get a whole bunch of stuff for cheap, which is, I'm definitely guilty of that, having that mentality many times where I'm just like, I got to have a hundred games for 10 bucks, or I could, you know, spend a hundred games on one or a hundred bucks on one game, you know, like. It's it, it's an interesting uh, dilemma for people that start to lose their discretionary spending uh, and start to have to pull back or like dedicate to hobbies or something like that. And, and so it makes me think that you know maybe there needs to be some more adaptation around business models for game development for streaming games, 
But the other thing that, you know, I think that maybe, maybe Tammy brought up was just this idea also around UGC monetization and platforms as well, in the sense that, uh, you know, part of the cost of game development is the content. Uh, you know, we talk about AI to kind of help with that, but also UGC is another potential path for uh, kind of offloading some of that work about the content uh, to sort of make it like easier. And then you create a business model around that. And, and it calls back to what uh, one of the, the Nexon people was saying at the Korea blockchain about MapleStory adapting the blockchain uh, stuff for the business model to where it was also like, he was saying like, you know, the, these people are creating content much faster than us and more efficiently than us. So let's create some economy monetization around that. And maybe that's uh, part of this shift we could see is, is both those things where it's, you know, maybe some streaming services or other ways to sort of like handle the fact that you might not get money up front and that free to play is very competitive to acquire customers. Instead, you, you know, partner up with the streaming service and then you find ways to, to use that as a platform then to get people staying in your content uh, and then creating for it and then finding ways to like capitalize, uh, uh, you know, maybe on ch- transaction fees, stuff like that. Obviously we've got better tax or uh, tech now for, for taxing transactions and, 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 you know, taking royalties and things like that. So it seems like there's a lot of opportunities here, but uh, food for thought, definitely a lot of stuff. And hopefully uh, those of you out there affected by the layoffs are able to find quick work or, you know, find an insurance company you want to work for that you're excited about. Uh, there is opportunities out there. I mean, it could be an office space moment and maybe you just want to fish and do construction, but uh, either way, hopefully everyone finds a good home or at least something really cool to do in the meantime, uh, because unfortunately I don't think this is uh, changing all that soon, uh, but also, you know, spend some time learning the AI stuff in the meantime, though, uh, we yeah, thank you for everyone coming in today. Great topics. As always, great discussions. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, we're always uh, almost limited by the clock, if anything else, because I'm sure there's plenty more we could crack into, and we probably will in the next episode or the one after that. So thanks again for everyone listening as well. And uh, just wish you all a happy weekend, and we'll see you next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.